the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, folks. This is Philip Naiman from Firing Line Radio Show. Now, for those of you out here in KQNA and Prescott land, this is the first time you're hearing this show. So I want to do a little bit of introduction and thank you for letting us grace Prescott with our, with our show. We're uh, really excited to be out here. Firing Line Radio Show has been around for almost 10 years now. We've been in Southern California. And like everything else, we're coming to Arizona. So we've been in Southern California for about 10 years. We are a Second Amendment-focused show. We want to make sure that we cover God, guns, our freedoms, gear, having a great time in the wilderness, uh, patriotism, overlanding, all you know, prepping, all the great things that we actually do as a lifestyle out here. And we want to make sure that we cover that in our show. Now, we're very positive on the Second Amendment. We are Second Amendment supporters. We've done a lot of work uh, in California with the California Rifle and Pistol Association. We're looking forward to getting involved more out here in Arizona. Myself, um, I'm an old man who's been shooting for a long time. I am a jack of all trades, a master of none. So I get to go out and experience a lot of great shooting and just enjoy it. And I want to share all of that with you. So the purpose of this show is to bring in an audio format uh, to bring more information to you about what's available, guns, gear, uh, what's happening in legislative uh, with the Supreme Court, with some of the cases that have come on there, and just to keep you all apprised of, of where we are in supporting our Second Amendment and getting people involved with that has been a great joy of mine. So our website is firinglineradio.com, firinglineradio.com. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. Uh, oddly enough, they're called Firing Line Radio. Uh, also at Gab and at YouTube, once again, you might find it under Firing Line Radio. So we're very glad to be here at KQNA. We're also on uh, AM 590 The Answer in Southern California. You can get our podcasts at firinglineradio.com. Again, lots of shows there and YouTube channels. We have all kinds of, of stuff happening with that. So that's who we are. We're very glad to be out here. Uh, KQNA, I think it stands for kick and A. I don't know. We're just, we're still figuring that out, but KQNA, kick and A here with uh, the second amendment. So my guest here today, and uh, very glad to do this, this is our first show coming from the Prescott studios. Our guest here today is Grant Cazada. Grant is with the founding, well, he's the owner of Founding Fathers Collectives here in Prescott, but he's got a lot of history and a lot of great information on long-range shooting, and he's an okay guy, so we're going to bring him on the show here. So, Grant, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. I got, uh, I guess I got my bang. I got my caffeinated tea, and I just bought uh, a new Wilson Combat uh, grip for my pistol that so everything's going, I mean, what else can you do on a Thursday? What is the Wilson combat lower? <clears throat> it's like for a Wil- um, six hour P365. So I just, while you were talking, I, w- I wanted to buy one because a couple of weeks ago they were sold out. So I'm like, I got to get one <laughs> now. So I was buying that and a trigger and some other See, stuff. That's Hopefully free- my wife's listening because she'll be like, what? what? Stop buying stuff. Well, it doesn't matter. You're new to the show. So, and matter of fact, a lot of people are new to the show here in, in Prescott. 
um, we have a bit of a rule. And that is that, you know, we don't want to ruin marriages. <laughs> it really, you know, we're family yeah. friendly. And so when, when you're in the car, if you've actually got your wife permission as you're driving someplace to listen to the show, the last thing we're going to do is drop dime on you, right? So all firearms cost about a hundred dollars. Oh, absolutely. Ammunition's about 20 bucks, right? Yeah, a hunting yeah. trip is about $200. Now your mileage may vary, but that's just, those are our rough. So that lower for the P365 was probably around a hundred. Oh, if that, I think it was if $30. That, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it's, firearms are extremely affordable mm -hmm. and uh, actually you get bulk discounts. The more you buy, the cheaper they get. That's um, what yes. I've heard. Not always. So <laughs> that's what, on this show, that's our standard. So we're going to, we're going to focus on that. Um, so pig three pig. IOUs are always acceptable too. So right. Uh, the combination of the SIG P365 <laughs> and yeah, it's the pig 365. Anyway, the SIG 365 is a awesome firearm. Now, if you're in the people's Republic of occupied California, uh, you're not able to buy one. It's actually not on our roster list, but here in Arizona in free America, you just clicked it on your phone and was done. That's it. I'll see it in a couple of days. <laughs> so that's the way life should be, folks. It's the way life should be. Okay. So Grant, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> originally from California myself, my folks moved to Prescott when I was about four or five back in the early 80s, uh, mid 80s. Um, my wife and I met in second grade here at Christian Academy, grew up here going to the school system. Um, Got in a little bit of trouble at Prescott High School, which everybody kind of already knows because I ran for city council last year and, you know, put that out there. But I got a top secret security clearance, so whatever. Uh, but was a hairdresser. You've gotten uh, smarter since then. Yeah, barely. You know? <laughs> <clears throat> More wily, maybe. Um, That's smarter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, took off after high school, went to Missouri, was a hairdresser for three years, joined the armies, uh, 23 Spent eight years on active duty, um, all eight years with Ranger Regiment. So I was at 2nd Ranger Battalion and uh, got out in 2014. Stayed in the Arizona National Guard, uh, took over the sniper section for the the state for about five or six years. Uh, now I just ride a desk up at range control um, at Camp Navajo. And I've had the privilege of, uh, you know, shooting quite a bit different competitions, writing curriculum for different, um, agencies, teaching a lot of course, teaching a lot of courses and, uh, you know, just <clears throat> all around, um, you know, enjoying my time in Prescott and being able to do kind of what I do when I want to do it. And so it's an interesting, um, interesting swing around. So you, you had an idea for, I mean, you're a hairdresser for, for years, yeah. right? And then you started this other company here in Prescott, mm -hmm. John Hancock. So what's, what's the idea? What's this John Hancock? Where's that come in? Yeah. So Everybody I, I uh, insurance. yeah. So <clears throat> when I got out of the army, uh, on active duty, 2014, uh, I had my two weeks of, um, or sorry, two months of kind of like terminal leave, which was paid vacation time saved up. I went and did a two month master course in Santa Monica, Vidal Sassoon, which was geared towards, uh, color and haircutting. Um, then I ended up going back to Missouri. I got my barber's license and I did not want to kind of move back to Prescott and get into the hairdressing scene. I kind of had my spiel of that, but I, I 
didn't want to kind of fall prey to, I think what a lot of guys uh, end up vectoring towards when they leave, especially the special operations community is like uh, a lot of guys will just get into contracting, which great money. There's a lot of opportunity, um, a lot, a lot of momentum from kind of your skill set prior to your time. And uh, for me, my focus was how do I stay, stay present in Prescott um, and sane. Yeah. Sane. And, uh, you know, focus on my, my marriage and my kids and, and just being a productive member of, of our community. And so that's when I, prior to moving back, it was like, okay, I'm going to get into barbering. So I opened up John Hancock barber shop with like a one chair shop. And then a buddy of mine moved out about a month and a half later, Damien, who's still in town, but the entire, um, focus for John Hancock when I started, it was, uh, really a, a healthy place for cultivating relationships, you know, within a masculine environment. And at the time Prescott had, or the, the region had about 167 salons and there was about 11 barbershops. And so I had done a lot of shaky guys. Oh yeah. I had done a lot of research. I called a lot of the salons, a lot of the um, barbershops. I knew kind of, Hey, that's, that's where I'm going to focus on. <clears throat> and I'll use, uh, you know, cutting men's hair as uh, the means to get into business and then um, entrepreneurship and, and continually grow, um, grow business, but then also curate and collect good people. And so that's founding fathers has just become an extension of that. I I think that's a great way to explain it because I've been there. Well, one of the first places, uh, friends took me was founding fathers when I first landed out here, you know, you got to see this place and, and you walk in, okay, there's the John Hancock barbershop, but then there's the beer garden. Then there's the jujitsu gym. Then there's the other gym. Then there's the men's shop. Then there's uh, special events. Yeah. Then there's a hallway. Then there's like a speakeasy and there's a cigar place <laughs> and there's a ton outside space. And so yeah. it's, it's more, it's, someone says, Oh, it's a, the haircut. No, it, it's not. It's an event and it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's really, really, really awesome. If you haven't had a chance to head out there yet, they're down there uh, North on Granite, right outside of downtown uh, founding fathers collective. And what's your next special event you have coming up? Um, <clears throat> so I think our next major special event is going to be May 22nd, I believe, which Memorial is a, day. Yep. Friday. Yeah. And that's the day school gets out for, for, uh, the community. So we're doing an entire block party. So we already got a crew from the city shut, shutting down the whole street. I think it shuts down every Friday night on that street anyway. Yeah. So yeah. folks head out there Memorial day to plan that, but don't wait that long. Head on out, get some coffee, get whatever you need. Founding fathers, com, right? Yes. Foundingfatherscollective.com. We'll be right back with Grant talking more about uh, military and shooting. Hey, folks, welcome back. We're joining us here um, with my special guest, Grant Cazada, Founding Fathers Collective. But he's a little bit more than that. If you've bumped into him around town, I tell you what, my first time around town, everybody says, you got to meet Grant. You got to meet Grant. You got to meet Grant. It's like, okay, maybe I should go meet Grant. So uh, fortunately, I was able to do so. And he's a pretty interesting guy. Now, you heard in our last segment here, um, as I think with most special forces, not all because people are people, but with most special forces guys, very understated. Oh yeah. I just, you know, did some military time. Oh no. Second ranger battalion sniper section. Oh, I don't know. Six tours. I don't know. 14, you know, <laughs> slightly understated exactly about that. So we're going to kind of kick him a little bit and make him talk more about himself here uh, about his military service. Number one, sir, thank you for the sacrifices you made in protecting us. And I really do mean that, but tell us a little bit about how you got, you joined the military from Missouri. 
right? Mm-hmm. 23 years old. So you're yeah. like the old man in the group, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. One of the older ones. Um, also thanks for your support. So I appreciate it. And, uh, for any of the veterans out there, I just learned this, um, probably in the last couple of months, but it, you kind of always feel awkward and people are like, Hey, thanks for your service. You don't really know how to <clears throat> respond to that. But, uh, somebody was like, you, you're the proper responses. Thanks for your support. So I've been trying to say that a lot more, but it makes a lot more sense. Um, but anyways, yeah, joined uh, the Army in 2006 out of Springfield, Missouri. Um, went to basic training, and from there went to Airborne. And Was it your intention from the beginning to try Special Forces? Yeah, yes, it was. So <clears throat> growing up, um, you know, I knew all about the Special Operations community. My stepfather uh, spent 21 years in the Army. He retired out of 10th Special Forces Group, so he spent the last 14 years of his career in 10th Group. And, um, you know, he's a solid... Uh, solid male role model in my life. He's still here in Prescott. Still he? here in town. Yeah. Him He's and my mom teaching CCW classes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he was, uh, after he left the army, he became a YCSO deputy here for about 15 years. And then he's been retired for probably 10, I think. And, um, still stays youthful and sprightly and, uh, great guy. But yeah, so I spent, uh, it, going back to when I enlisted, I had gotten in trouble here in town when I was 16 and so that kind of hindered my ability to go in uh, at 18. And then when I was able to get in at 23, um, I was unable to secure a contract for any type of special operations, uh, largely because of my kind of my juvenile record. So I was able to get in and then it was up to me and through basic training to kind of earn my way into um, what type of special operations vectoring I, I was moving towards. And at the time, what was your intention to begin with? My intention was, well, it was. You joined the army, so you want to be yeah, green beret. Yeah, so either some some type of special operations. And at that time, two thousand six. I mean, we'd been at war with Afghanistan for um, five years, Iraq for like two and a half, three. And my biggest concern was, man, I'm going to go through all this training, and uh, the war is going to end, and I'm not going to ever participate in it. And so one of the fastest ways to get into oh boy, the, weren't you wrong on that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but one of the fastest ways to get into special operations, uh, still, but you know, back then was you, you get there through Ranger regiment. So it was a two month kind of selection process. And then a lot of the, um, training comes after you get into Ranger regiment to where that's when you're going to all the specialty schools that they will send you to. Whereas, in a lot of the other units, all that, those schools are kind of front loaded. And then you go through your year to your pipeline, and then you end up in special forces or the seals or PJs, CCT, whatever the, the special operations group might be. And so for us, um, you go through your selection process and then you get into Ranger regiment, you go to one of the three battalions. And then while you're there, then it's, it's very dog eat dog and everything is you're earning your space into different schools throughout the training cycles. And it's a, it's a pretty high attrition rate. I think we lose about 50 to 60% of guys a, a year. Um, and if you, if you are getting, go to a school, you get kicked out of the school, you don't pass, or you maybe are very competent, uh, E4, E5, and then you get promoted to your next position. You, you can't cut the mustard. I mean, you're immediately kicked out. So one of the kind of strengths with Ranger regiment is, um, really our RFS policy. So release for standards. Merit-based. Uh, yeah. Everything's merit-based. Everything is, um, 
you know, we don't, we what have, if you a, identify as an E6, can you stay in? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tried that. Um, it's amazing. Nowadays, the army, just, I know I'm an E5, but I identify as an E6. Yeah, the, the military and the army these days, I mean, they'll just let you identify as whatever. That's the freaking nonsense. That's, that's how going you get on the right promotions. Now. Yeah. Oh, dude. Promotions. You just self-identify as whatever they, they, it has become a woke culture. And I am glad to say that. Um, but point is, it's like, just went to, so you get to Ranger Regiment and, uh, you know, then it's just, you have to bust your ass to what was the hardest stay school? there. Um, cause it's like you have orienteering, you have, you know, all yeah. these different things. R- Ranger school is a, <clears throat> a pretty big kick in the pants. So for us, you go through selection, you get to regiment and then, um, to stay in regiment and especially in a leadership position, you have to go to Ranger school. And so Ranger school, there's really no affiliation with Ranger school and Ranger regiment. Ranger school is just a, uh, it's a, it's a premier leadership course. And you have anybody in the army that can go Marine Corps, Air Force, Navy. And so they do courses, you know, throughout the year, I think there's 10, 10 courses a year, about a 25% um, or 75% attrition rate, something like that. And then in Ranger Regiment to stay as a leader, you have to go to that course. And then you have guys in special forces that will go to that course or mm. 82nd or 10th mountain division or seals or, you know, so it's, it's, um it's just a healthy gut check in, in uh, leading your peers when you only have one or two meals a day, if that, and you're up for 21 to 24 hours a day. And, uh, I went through in the middle of winter. So it was like snowing and raining the whole time. When I went through mountain awesome. phase, it was miserable. Um, but that was a healthy. Another gut good check. check. Yeah. So my understanding is the, the seals, they kind of discipline or something with cold mm-hmm. and the Rangers, they use food. Yeah. Yeah. Lack of food, um, lack of sleep, you know, like you only are given sleep when you're dead. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You're so it's ranger school. You're only given, uh, no more than four hours of sleep a night. And that's like at the best, you know, everything else is, if you're not meeting the standard or what, whatever the training exercises for that day into the night, then you, you want to make it up. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just making up. So you have all these tasks, conditions, standards on a daily basis, and then maybe you get done in time with your peers and you get an hour of sleep and the next night you get no sleep and the third night you get two hours. And so it's two months of that if you're lucky and you go straight through, there's a lot of attrition rate. People are getting recycled. Um, they'll start a phase over. So it's a pretty, it's a humbling experience. You know, I think the, they've, they've gotten into such scientific management on this that they know exactly how many hours of sleep you can operate on right before you go full bonkers. Um, they know your hypothermia, like we're talking with the guys in the seals, they've got it regulated down to, okay, they've got 33 more seconds. They can be in the water before we got to yank them out, yeah. you know, and this, and they run them right to that edge. They take them to the edge, um, probably take it over a few times, but it's an amazing amount of discipline that allows you guys to be the warriors to protect a society that's fat and sloppy. And, uh, as a fat and sloppy society, I don't think we, we appreciate that enough. Um, so you, when did you decide to get into sniper school? Uh, so I did, <clears throat> I did a couple of years on the line. Uh, so you start in resume. The line means the line, like your, your, uh, assault, your, your platoon. So you do a couple of years, 
uh, you kind of earn your keep on the line within a range of battalion and that's in your companies. So about a 90 to hundred guys, three different platoons. So 30 to 40 guys per platoon. Where was your first, uh, uh overseas? Uh, first overseas was Afghanistan, 2000, early 2008. Um, and then, uh, and I, I got to range of battalion in early 07. I missed that deployment because we stood up a new, um, company. And so the 10 guys I got there with five guys went to the other companies and then me and four guys went to Delta company and kind of stood up Delta company. Folks, Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. We'll be right back here with Grant Cazada. Check us out at firinglineradio.com for the podcast. We'll be right back. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio Show. This is Philip Naiman. Hope you're having a great day out here and lovely, well, wherever you are. If you're in Southern California, I know it's going to be a great day because of the time of year it is. You're here in Prescott. It's obviously a great day too. So we, we try not to err in places that suck. So that's an important thing. We're having a great time out here. Folks, uh, joining me, I have Grant Cazada. Grant Cazada, uh, ranger, um, sniper, patriot, businessman, father. We're having a great talk here. We're going to talk a little bit more about his military service. Uh, he went into the sniper school. So let's pick it up from there, Grant. Your sniper school, uh, why did you decide to do that? Yeah, so... Um... <clears throat> You know, grew up on the line in Ranger Regiment, uh, went to a bunch of different schools there. Uh, you kind of earn your keep and work your way into um, either leadership roles on the line, meaning team leader, squad leader, platoon sergeant, or you can uh, assess to go to the specialty platoons. So we have uh, the recce team or recce platoon. Uh, reconnaissance. Recce means. Yep, reconnaissance teams. Uh, you have your sniper platoon. You have your uh canine platoon there's a couple other specialty platoons that um you know not at liberty to say but they do some cool stuff and so um so i i always wanted to be a sniper i did a couple deployments uh on the line as a saw gunner and a grenadier and which is uh, like a sniper yeah with a machine gun yeah <laughs> totally so to explain, that whole one explain, shot one kill thing doesn't it yes. <laughs> one uh, one bucket of ammo yeah, one kill exactly. what, what is a saw gunner for those so who saw gunner is like your squad automatic weapon or your um so it's just a it's a belt fed machine gun that's belt fed machine gun about 26 pounds yeah yeah, yeah. Un- unloaded rounds. well we had we had uh man it's been about a decade or more but i think at the time it was either mark 46 or mark 48 and i'm getting that confused because you have a well, say mark 47 split the difference that's it okay. there well i think that's something too but uh mark 46 i believe was the proper terminology but it's a belt fit it's a it's the equivalent of a saw but it it was only designed for special operations guys okay. and so you're talking it's like a it's a 12 pound weapon you know instead of like a 26 pound short little barrel the whole thing's super compact so the quiet too <laughs> yeah super <clears throat> and you know, we had, we did have suppressors on them and stuff, but I mean, it's a, it's well, a freaking machine. Gun. Okay. So you've got a machine gun, right? Yeah. It's a 308 caliber, right? This one was a five, five, six, five, five, six. Yep. Okay. So it's five, five, six, but you're running it as a machine gun with a suppressor. You ever have a problem melting your suppressors? I mean, uh, they, we had some pretty solid suppressors. So I think at the, that time it was like uh surefire was the one that won the contract actually, but half- you're running some high rates of fire sometimes, right? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was, so I was on the test bed, uh, for the final, uh, T and E or test and evaluation for surefire for their muzzle brakes and suppressors down in Nyland, uh, right after I got back from the special operations sniper course. And that was me and a couple seals and a couple green berets. And, um, so we were kind of like the, the last group of operators that were testing out the muzzle brakes and flash, you know, flash hiders and 
suppressors when the when SOCOM won the contract or not SOCOM, but when Surefire, Surefire. won the, the contract for SOCOM. Almost blew up my thumb too. It was awesome. Uh spent had spent like a solid nine weeks at the special operations sniper course. So I was only behind that long gun for for a solid nine weeks. I get back, <clears throat> I missed that deployment, which was the deployment uh Operation Red Wing went down, uh, which was the uh wow. you know gold, oh, yeah. gold yeah. squadron for the SEALs. And it was my my platoon uh or two my platoon and sister platoon that were on the ground prior to that going down. So I talked a ton of my buddies were on that operation have first, you know, firsthand accounts of what happened. Um, I ended up not going because I was in the middle of that sniper school at the time. So when I got back, I got back like on a Friday or Saturday. And then my head shed was like, Hey, can you go down to California to do this T and E for these suppressors and stuff, which was Monday. So I go down there and we're shooting little tiny seven and a half inch or, you know, upper receiver groups, man, I about blew my thumb off. Cause I reached stuck, around. Yep. Stuck my thumb a little too close to the muzzle break. Right. When we got out to the range, shot, shot the gun, uh, freaking felt like I blew my thumb off because of the overpressure. Luckily I was on the far right side of the range and the seals and the green bridge on the other side. And I'm like, dude, you gotta be kidding me, dude. I just blew my thumb off in front of these guys. Like, oh my gosh, like senior E6, like, I looked down, thumb still there. I'm like, okay, great. Still there. Um, <laughs> but that being said, is like, we do this whole T and E for this, uh, you know, these, these suppressors and, um, you know, they put us out on the range the first day and I, I throw in a mag, flip it to full auto and just let it rip completely crack a can in half. And, the the guys from surefire and SOCOM are like, uh, what'd you do? And it's like, that's what's going to happen in combat. You know, like we're, yeah. I'm, I'm, we got to see what this thing can do. Like what, how did you guys, and then all of us, you know, all the military guys are like, well, how are you guys actually testing these things? Oh, uh, we're in a, you know, laboratory, laboratory, a hundred yard range indoors. We stick in a vice. We shoot one round every minute for five minutes. Then we let it cool down. Then we shoot another. And it's like, that's not reality. Like <laughs> what I just did is reality. Right. Right. So it was kind of, they're like, oh, well, we didn't really want you guys to do that. And it's like, you want the contract? This is, this they is they got the, the contract. Yeah. I mean, at that point, it was like already signed and done. And so, um, but they still make good good stuff. So, no, sure, for sure. For me, I like their lights a lot. Yeah. So here's uh the gun lights. Here's what he's talking about. He's got a short upper. Okay, short upper on an M4. Was it? Mm-hmm. So short upper on an AR-15 style weapon. Uh, short meaning a seven inch barrel. At the end of the seven inches, you've got. Well, he's had a can on this, or he had a muzzle break, and so. The purpose of the muzzle break is to keep you on target after your first shot. You know, there's not a lot of recoil with a 223, right? If you need a muzzle break for recoil on a 223, I'm sorry, man, you need to go to the gym. But um, the, the purpose of it is to stay on target for multiple shots or to spot your shots downrange so you have less muzzle jump on that. But the way it does is, is it vents the gases from instead of going straight out the barrel sideways not just sideways but sideways and back and the amount of pressure that comes out of a firearm is unbelievable you're talking about you know uh, uh say a 308 something of that caliber you might have 3000 foot pounds of energy throwing the bullet down range and that pressure has to go somewhere and if your hand is near that um i know carl ross a friend of mine had a 454 casual lost lost his thumb Jeez. when he first figured out about how overpressure works yeah. but um it's a good way to learn 
one time. <laughs> but but um, the gas is also about 2000 degrees. So it's, you know, it'll not only take it off, but it'll sear it shut too. Right? Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of things you don't want to be on the pointy end of the gun is probably the number one. Do they teach you that in ranger school? Pointy end bad. Yes. Okay. Yes. But you like, you're sleeping the whole time. So you don't remember much. <laughs> <That was> sleeping. <laughs> sleepwalking. You sleep uh, with your eyes open. Yeah. That was, <clears throat> that was one of those funny, like humble pie moments. Cause at that point I'd been in for about six years and but it's they, like, they, they didn't see it. Right. No, nobody you saw put it. Put your hand in your pocket. And then- no. And I don't tell that story often. So you guys are all getting a funny story because <laughs> You know, it really, it's like the best part about military stories is find the guy that can be self-deprecating and have a joke at, at his expense. And it's okay. You it's know? perfect. Like, have All right. So what was sniper school like? Uh, so I went to the big army sniper school, which is at Fort Benning. Um, so for in Ranger Regiment, uh, you kind of go through a selection process. You get to your platoons, specialty platoons. I went to the sniper platoon. Um, there was several schools that they could send you to, uh, we, we could go to Marsoc sniper school or Marsof, uh, the big army sniper school, the special operations sniper school at Fort Bragg, which was Sodic or Sifsic. Um, and what, what weapon did you end up with? So we have, we had a slew of weapons. Um, so that most of the time, if you're going to any one of those schools, you're, you're primarily going to shoot, uh, seven, six, two or three weight, and then you're shooting a 50 cal. And that's usually what you're calling on. And the 50 cal is just kind of. There might be a week or something of training, but most of your time is all the field trade or field craft stuff, ghillies, snipers, uh, you know, um, target detection, um, all the stuff that like you see in the movies that will help, you know, an individual become a sniper. And then of course, a huge part of that is all your uh, gates on, on testing with how well you can shoot your gun and how well you can spot and um, work as a team. What's considered acceptable marksmanship for a sniper uh well if you if you go through the sodic course or sifsic uh which is out at bragg that's the special operations course um it's about a nine-week course i i believe the standard at the time uh when i went through was 2011 um but you're supposed to be able to shoot within one meter of an assaulter at 100 yards and that's what you're capable of doing or what that's what you're trusted to to do so if one meter yep so three feet So, yeah. So if you're sitting in a static position and you had your assaulters, let's say entering a building, not being assaulted. Yeah. You would be able to protecting your guys, right? You would be able to, um, directly engage with or, or, um, help support your team and be, be trusted to engage a target within three feet of a friendly. Got it. So, and that's like, I mean, that, that shows that you're, you're expected to take some pretty close, well-aimed shots and placement, know where your round's going, but acceptable, really, it should come down to like, if you can shoot at a hundred yards within one MOA, which, you know, that means one inch loosely, you know, one inch at a hundred yards or meters. And that's acceptable. You, you as the shooter should do that. The gun should do that. The ammo should do that. Um, and then of course you have variables that go into that. Well, how well was the Lot, lots made? Of variables. there's all the other lots nonsense that people we'll talk about that on our next chase. segment. Yeah. Folks, Philip Neyman, Firing Line Radio Show. Get the podcast, firinglineradio.com. We'll be right back after this. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio Show. Once again, we're uh, proud to be out here on KQNA in Prescott and AM 590 in Southern California. We're having a great time here with my special guest, Grant Cazada. He's enlightening us about what's going on or what went on, I should say, at sniper school and long range shooting and this last segment, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about long range shooting as we, as we just got off of that last 
portion, you were saying there's a lot of different variables, how well the rifles made your bullets, um, probably your condition and, and, you know, how heavy you're breathing at the point in time, you have to make a critical shot. And, uh, let's just talk about the equipment now. So you, you still do some long range shooting. You mm-hmm. did some competition shooting. Yeah. I'm getting ready to go down and, uh, I think April 22nd compete at sniper fest down in the Valley. And I'm shooting with, um, a buddy, Eli crane, who's running for Congress. So I think he's representing our district, but he was a Navy SEAL. And then um, him and I are going to shoot as a team down at Sniper Fest in a couple of weeks. So that's, I'm going to be in uh, Oklahoma for CCW Safe that weekend, but cool. that sounds like a, otherwise I would have won the <clears throat> contest. Yes. Well, totally. We actually got a call. Like I, I asked a question to the board <laughs> Hey, can we go down and shoot this? Because I, I shot the competition a couple of years ago and uh, I got a nice polite call back from, I would assume some police officer who's helping run and facilitate. And he's like, Hey, uh, we talked together as a board. We're okay with you guys coming out. Uh, but we're a little hesitant because we don't want you guys to mop the floor with us. And I'm like, dude, you got nothing to worry about both him and I haven't shot. We've never shot together and I'm a little rusty and we're just out there to have a good time and hopefully lower expectations. Oh yeah. And hopefully just introduce Eli to, um, you know, the, the military, the law enforcement military community within the state and kind of the region. So people get to see who he is and, and then really just allows me to slow down for a day and go shoot some guns. <laughs> I'm okay with that. So what will you be shooting in that? I'm going to shoot a two, two, four Valkyrie. And then Eli's going to shoot a six, five. Okay. So two, 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 how many, yeah. two, 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 four Valkyrie. Uh-huh. Um, explain that it's AR four, AR 15 or two twenty three yep. platform <clears throat> uh-huh. and how they improved it. Yeah. So it's like, uh, totally a hopped up pretty much 22 caliber round, but you, you have your two, two, three, which um, at the low end is a 55 grain bullet and it maxes out at a 77 grain. And that's one of the sniper rifles I had in uh, the military was an SPR, a special, special, special purpose rifle. So, and uh, Mark 11, so I have to, I sometimes I have to explain a few yeah. things here. So the reason that it would max out on 77 grains, even though you could get a hundred or a 95 grain bullet is your magazine length guys. So if you have a 95 grain, 22 caliber bullet and you're pushing it into a 223, you're taking up half of your uh, cartridge capacity. Yep. So, so your overall length, the most you can really do if you're using a 223 or a 15 platform is a 77 grain bullet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so like a 77 grain bullet um, in the military is a mod zero or mod one, 262 Black Hills, um, phenomenal uh, cartridge, uh, especially for precision shooting out of an AR, you know, AR 15 or platform, yeah. M- M16 platform M4. Um, that was my, by far, that was my favorite sniper rifle. It was uh, close to being an assaulter capabilities, but um, could still engage out to accurately six, 700 all day. And since primarily I was always working at nighttime, uh, gave me the capability to do a lot of climbing, um, run around on the top of buildings, still clear rooms by myself or, you know, partner, just the, the more functional than an M40, a lot, a lot more functional. And we had seven, six, two platforms and a couple different gas guns and bolt guns. And we had a pretty good arsenal of weapons we could choose from, but, um, I just love that SPR. So anyways, uh, the two, two, four Valkyrie is kind of like the next step up from two, 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 three. And that round starts at a 90 grain and it's still delivering a muzzle velocity. That's akin to a 77 grain, but you just have a lot more powder and the capability to stay supersonic longer with more kinetic energy at distance. And so really you're getting a ton of accuracy, 
at longer range in an air platform um, that, you know, a traditional 223 or 556 gas gun is going to fail at once it gets past, you know, six or 700 yards, which you can always push those guns further. They're always capable of going further, but point. You don't know what you're going to get specifically. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're getting a 224 Valkyrie, it's like you can push that thing out to a thousand all day. So, so the 90 grain, I don't know if you handled your own or not, but uh, I use a, in the 22 Creedmoor, I use a 95 grain Sierra match king cool it's got a bc of 600 yeah that's awesome out of a 22 caliber you know and then with the the 22 creedmoor is a 6.5 necked all the way down to 22 it's the proper creedmoor Jeez. so that's, that's, yeah. it, it's awesome um so it's just a, it's a great thing but you've got a the 22 valkyrie or 224 valkyrie you've got the ability to shoot uh consistently multiple rounds down range on target with extended range. So it's a great, great opportunity for that. Yeah. Uh, what will Eli be shooting? So he got a new, uh, I think he picked up a new SIG Sauer 6.5 Creedmoor, their bolt gun, which is that a SIG Cross or something like that. And so he wanted to shoot that, uh, which that puts him in the sniper role. So and sniper then, combination, you guys both both mm-hmm. do each stage. You like you have to clear six or seven targets and he makes precision shots, yep. something like that. <clears throat> yeah, so in this capacity, the two roles that we have is uh, – is like spotter shooter. And so he'll be the, the main shooter because he's got he's shooting a six five creed more wants to shoot that. And I'll be more uh conducting myself in the spotter role and then follow up shots or secondary shots with an AR platform. So he'll shoot a bolt gun, I'll shoot a gas gun. And then um because it's more of a, a police competition or a law enforcement competition, uh it's gonna be down at Cowtown. And a lot of those engagements are a lot closer because traditionally law enforcement you're talking hundred. Yeah, 77, I think, or 73 yards is like your your average shot that a law enforcement takes when it comes to precision. And so they allow you to shoot out in that competition further. You know, I think uh, last time I competed, we had a few shots that were maybe a thousand just because guys have those guns and they want to push them out. But <laughs> most of the shots we had were like 500 and in, and there's quite a bit of shots that were 100 and in. And so they want to see how well do you know your height over bore, your, your mm-hmm. mechanical offset, or your, you know, and, and how well can you deliver accurately at 50 yards if there was a target, you know, like a tee box or something like that. And so, so height over bore. So an important thing to think about here, folks, um, we've all heard stories about a sniper, say a police sniper sitting in the back of a room, looking, overlooking down the, the bank building and he wants to be as low as possible. So when he takes his shot, although his crosshairs cleared the windowsill, his bullet did not. Yep. Um, you've got a gap between the, your barrel and your line of sight. Your line of sight is always straight. Uh, your barrel from the second of well, the millisecond, the bullet starts leaving the barrel, it starts dropping due to gravity. So it actually arcs from below the scope through your line of sight coming up. Mm-hmm. And for your 223, you're probably sighting in about 67 yards dead on going up uh, to zero. I'm, I'm going to zero 67 up. And then that's about a 200 yard zero yeah. on the other side. So I'll zero that at a hundred. I'd zero all my rifles at a hundred. And so I it's use like 37 some... yards coming up is uh, your first yeah. First pass. Yep. So like my, my AR 15s, I'll zero at 33 yards. 33. Um, okay. And the reason being for those is just, uh, you get super accurate engagements from pretty much point targets, you know, like 30 yards in front of you, five yards in front of you, all mm-hmm. the way up to about 420 yards. So you're talking, you know, from let's say 30 yards all the way up to 450, uh, your round is only rising or falling a total of like 12 inches. inches. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's right in the sweet spot. And you don't even have to range a target or know the distance. You pretty much know, hey, I can just 
point and shoot. I'm yeah. going to hit somewhere within that 12 inches. So we do that, you know, um, let's say the hunting rifle, you might sight in at 300 yards. Mm-hmm. So that makes it two and a half high at a hundred, two and a half to three inches high at a hundred, two yeah. and a half to three inches high at 200 dead on at three, about three inches low at 340. Yeah. So, you know, if it's under 340 yards, you hold where you want it, you're two inches high, two inches low, send yeah. it. And you're doing the same thing with your AR platform for battle. But because um, people are more vertical targets, you can have a six <laughs> inch high, six inch low window and yep. still make it count. Yeah. And so you're just, you're, you're hedging your bets. Like when it comes to understanding how to manipulate your scope and your turrets and whether you whether you're dialing or not. That's another thing too, with like <clears throat> a lot of precision shooting or, or we'll say military sniper engagements. Uh, there's a lot of the traditional uh, sniper engagements that you might've seen from movies to where, Hey, if you're the sniper, you're dialing your reticle or your, your turrets and you're getting, trying to get an accurate placement on the first shot. You're going to use your, yeah, but really your you know, for what I was doing and a lot of my peers, it's a lot more of a dynamic battle space. And so it's awesome if you can get an engagement, your first shot. But the reality is like, I don't have time to mess around with my turrets. And so you've seen an advancement in reticle, yep. uh, you know, creation, creativity. Like Christmas tree underneath there. Yep. Everything I shoot is like a Christmas tree, um, which that a lot of that stuff was created by, um, you know, Horace, Horace yeah. Todd Hodnett, which I've been out to Todd's class, I think six times. And Dimitri Canadian, Texas. Yeah, he's got a lot of those. Yep. So that's kind of what you shoot. Then you're just manipulating the reticle to get the mathematical, you know, height and how you hold. And, and so and that's and, why you went to sniper school. Yeah. And everything is like a secondary fall on shot. Folks. I want to thank my special guest, Grant Kazada, founding fathers collective here in Prescott. If you're ever out here in Prescott, check them out. If you're visiting, if you live here, you already know where it's at. Go get a coffee and a beer and a haircut. Grant, thank you for your time. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Philip. I appreciate being on the show, man. Welcome to town. Thank you folks. Firinglineradio.com for the podcast. Have a great weekend. God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.